SoWin TV presents. SoWin TV presents. Dr. Lynette Sim, along with Lisa Burkhart Worley of Pearls of Promise Ministries, and welcome to Pop Talk, the show where you never know what subjects might pop up. Have you ever been through a stretch where everything seems to be going wrong in your life? Maybe you're trying to find hope or a way out of a situation. Today, we're going to be speaking to a gentleman who has found the key to overcoming trials by studying the life of Joseph in the Bible. Lisa, will you do the introduction? Well, thank you, Lynette. Our guest today is Stephen K. Scott. Stephen's a best-selling author of a number of books, including The Richest Man Who Ever Lived, Mentored by a Millionaire, Simple Steps to Impossible Dreams, and the book we're going to discuss today, which is called The Joseph Principles, Turning Adversity and Heartache into Miraculous Living. Stephen's also the co-founder of the American Telecast Corporation, Total Gym Fitness, and Numi. He and his business partners have built more than a dozen multi-million dollar companies from scratch, and they've achieved billions of dollars in sales. So we're just so glad to have you on Pop Talk, Stephen. When, when I think of Joseph from the Bible, I think of unjust suffering. And you've experienced some of that yourself, even in this, it sounds like you had such a fabulous career, but you didn't have a, an easy start. In fact, you failed in nine jobs in your first six years after college. But like Joseph, you persevered. How did you finally turn it around? Okay. Answer is same way Joseph did. Neither one of us turned it around. God turned it around. Uh, what I did uh, my best friend in life was Dr. Gary Smalley. We had been best friends forever. And uh, Gary challenged me to get into the book of Proverbs and read a chapter of Proverbs every day for two years and write down the wisdom and insights uh, that I gained and begin to apply those to my work. So I did that. I went through Proverbs about 18 times. And at the time I lost jobs six, seven, and eight. But on job number nine, everything changed. I was able to double that company's sales in four months that I worked there. Then we started our own company, myself and one partner. He had $5,000. I had an idea. And five months later, our sales were about a million dollars a week. But we built everything we did on the strategies that I found from the book of Proverbs. So just for a quick recap of Joseph's life, he has uh, several brothers. They are very jealous and they sell him into slavery and looking for one of the Pharaoh's uh, officials, um, I think it's Potiphar, mm -hmm. um, he's falsely accused of rape and thrown into prison. So Joseph spends a lot, of li a lot of time in prison for something he did not do. And yet he finds a way to make that prison tolerable through key parts, uh, key elements of happiness. So what is that key and how can we reduce our emotional pain and anger with what you researched in Joseph? Well, number one, Joseph had intimacy with God. And intimacy with God today is far and few between. We all have religion. We go to church. We worship. Uh, we know a lot about God. We go deep into Bible studies. Jesus said of 
of the best Bible students of his time. He said, you search the scriptures diligently, um, yet these are that which testify of me, and you will not come to me for life. The problem is people get religion, but they don't get Jesus. And God's desire for us is not that we know about him, but that we come into an intimate union with him. And Joseph had that union. Uh, he never told us how we could get it. But the thing about the Joseph principles is that uh, we see these principles in Joseph's life that were just amazing, but he gives us no instruction. Jesus, on the other hand, told us how we could have everything Joseph had in terms of faith, courage, love, forgiveness, intimacy with God, uh, hearing the whispers of God, how we could have all that, and he told us how to do it. And so what this book is, it's the Joseph principles, which lay out these amazing things that Joseph experienced. But most of the book, 99.9% .9 of it are the teachings of Christ so that we can bring those into our life, including the intimacy that was the key to his happiness. Also, the last chapter of the book uh, talks about Joseph's most important key to happiness and how we can have that. And that is that as a slave and as a prisoner, he lost all of his rights. He didn't have a right to food, a right to breathe, a right to eat, a right to health, a right to education. He didn't have a right to anything. They were all stripped away from them, from him. And so he had no entitlement. So everything he received, he received as a gift. And what do gifts create? Gratitude. And out of gratitude, what comes out of gratitude? Happiness grateful, you can't be happy. If you are gratefulness, you will be. If you are grateful, you will be happy. So Joseph's key to gratefulness was he had no rights. Our key to gratefulness is yielding our rights to God so that anything we receive, we receive as a gift. So the, the last chapter of the book tells us seven areas that we clutch onto our rights and how we can, how we can, uh, I'm sorry, my phone had an interruption. How we can yield those to God in the moment that we're in. We can't yield them once and for all for life. Nobody does that. That's ridiculous. They can't do it. But we can for the moment that we're in. And that is a huge key to happiness. But everything good will come out of an intimate walk with Christ. And we show people Jesus recipes for intimacy. So many times I see people, especially in ministry, who have started out without any rights. Um, they start out with a very rough start. I know uh, we've all had something like that on this uh, interview. And I think God allows it many times because he wants us to be victorious later. He wants us to be grateful for what he's given us later. And that way we can uh, project that gratitude to other people. But, you know, sometimes when we're going through that trial, it seems like, uh, well, it's just too much going on. We can we can fall into the trap of, of thinking about maybe an uncertain future. We start to figure out ways that we can get out of the problems rather than staying present and trying to work through what's going on and, and learning from the difficulties that we are going through. How can we turn the power off of our worries, our fears, our sorrows and regrets that we might be experiencing through something very difficult like what Joseph experienced? The answer is Jesus commanded us, didn't suggest. He commanded us not to live in the future. He says, take no thought for the morrow. He commanded us not to live in the past. 
he who puts his hand to the plow looking back is not fit for the kingdom of God. He commanded us to live in the moment. Now that sounds like a tough command, but when you realize God doesn't dwell in the future or the past, he lives in the moment. He's the great I am that I am. Uh, all miracles, no miracles happen in the future or the past. They happen in the moment we're in. And yet 55% of our waking moments are spent either in the future or the past. The future might be what's for dinner tonight. The past could be as close as the guy who cut me off on the freeway today on the way to work. But those things take us in and out of the present moment. And yet God's presence and every miracle and intimacy with him is in the moment we're in. So we have a chapter that shows you how to come into the moment because Anytime the red flags are anytime you're fearful, stressed, worried, uh, anxious, that means your mind's in the future. Those are red flags that say you're not in the moment. And then anytime you're regretful, sorrowful, uh, angry, bitter, uh, that means your mind is in the past. So those are red flags that say, hey, you're not in the moment. And we show you in this chapter, four reset buttons. Jesus gave us three, Paul gave us one. You punch those little reset buttons and that quick you're in the moment. And when you're in the moment, you get to experience God, his miracles. You get to actually uh, become more intimate with who's ever sharing that moment with you. And you come alive in that moment. And so we show people how to do that and that, I just had a pastor who's been in the ministry for 52 years, and he's got nine churches. And I showed him how to begin to live the moment with Christ about eight years ago. And he just called me the other day, and Steve, that was the single greatest transformation that Christ has brought about in my life, because it does. It truly changes everything. But people don't show us how to do it. Jesus shows us how to do it. He's the one that gave us these three incredible buttons that instantly bring us into the moment so we can experience God right now. Right now, you guys are my moment. I'm not thinking about what comes came before or what comes after. I'm thinking about you. I'm 100% in this moment with you and God. And of course, Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there will I be in their midst. So he's in our midst right now. It can be really hard because there's so many times that we we think we're in our our own metaphorical prison. I mean, Joseph was in an actual prison, uh, the loneliest place to be in, in, in the world, all by yourself, yet he didn't fall victim to loneliness. And yet we, being free, sometimes feel like we are trapped in this, this prison and, and overcome with loneliness. How can, we, how can we deal with that sense of loneliness um, when we're talking about what Joseph was able okay, to do. Okay, there's a number of things. Joseph did them, and Jesus did them all. Remember, Jesus was a lonely man. Nobody could understand Jesus. His own disciples couldn't understand what made him tick. Uh, until the Holy Spirit came, they really weren't in a union with him. They were simply followers, and they knew about him. They listened to what he said. They didn't get it most of the time. Uh, so Christ was a tremendous. That's why he went off at night to be with his father in prayer for eight hours at a time. But we can deal with loneliness. Uh, Christ gave us the answer. The answer is, number one, learning what it means to come into intimacy with him. Now, we that's all reliant upon our meditating in 
Jesus' words. Jesus made 1,900 statements in the New Testament that are recorded, and those 1,900 statements, he said, are spirit and life. They literally infuse his spirit and his life into our spirit. So number one, we come into, we move toward intimacy with Christ. We do that by getting into his words and using what I call the prayer diamond. Uh, uh, prayer is a, a multifaceted diamond. It's got a core, and then it's got all these glorious facets. But the core, the essence, is found in Philippians 6, and this is all in the book, uh, Philippians uh, uh, 4, 6, and 7, uh, where he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, through prayer and thanks, uh, supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will mount guard over your heart and mind. So we show people how they can be totally transparent in their prayer. That is intimacy from their side. How do we, how do we get intimacy with God? Well, Jesus, here's the really cool, and there's a whole chapter on it, the Joseph Principles. Jesus revealed God's love language. Now, anybody that's read Gary Chapman's book, uh, the five love language has probably figured out what their love language is. Well, God has a love language that's not included in those five. And Jesus built it at the level. And when you discover that love language, whether you're a male or female, you it the promise he makes when you use his love language, he promises intimacy. He said to that person who uses this love language, he said, I will, my father will love him. I too will love him. And I will reveal, manifest myself to him. We'll come into union. That's intimacy. In fact, the next verse, two verses later, he says, uh, my father and I will come to him and make our abode. And that's an, a, a tense in the Greek, a continual, nonstop dwelling place with that person. That's intimacy. And so we have a whole chapter on God's love language. And literally the day you read that chapter, you can begin using that love language instantly. It's not something you have to grow into. You can start doing. All you need to do is, honestly, this will happen as you meditate in the words of Christ. My love language is words of affirmation. I did study the love languages, and so I figure after this show, you're going to tell us, Stephen, how great the show was, and <laughs> I'm going to feel good about it. But, uh, yeah, God does uh, give us these uh, love languages, and, you know, he knows what they are. And I know for myself, even with words of affirmation, the Lord speaks to me in words so many times, and so he gives me those affirming words. Mm -hmm. When yeah. I need them. And so, uh, but he also gives us other gifts, right? Uh, all sorts of spiritual gifts and, and different gifts. And, and, and he gave right. Joseph a gift that eventually was his key out of prison. That was dream interpretation. As a prerequisite of this gift, he trusted God, which was important. How does our trust in God and his sovereignty empower us to do unnatural things, like what Joseph did with interpreting dreams? Okay, now remember, here's a, here's a place that a lot of people get confused. Uh, Joseph didn't have the gift of interpretations. In fact, he said, uh, each time he was asked to interpret a dream, he said, interpretations belong to God, not me. But what he heard were the whispers of God. And God whispered those interpretations to him. And Jesus offers us the same thing. He says, what is whispered in your ear, shout from the rooftops. He said, what I tell you at night, proclaim in the daylight what is whispered in your ear. But to hear the whispers of Christ, you have to begin to meditate 
on Jesus' words. By meditate, that means thoughtfully and prayerfully listening to what he said and then beginning to apply what he said to your daily experience. Could you tell us, do, does God still speak to us through these visions and dreams? Does he still whisper to us like he did just? Okay, here's the deal. Uh, he, usually, he doesn't need to speak to us through visions and dreams anymore. A lot of people rely on that, but that's like taking a, um, uh, imagine if, if one of the uh, people you love most, whoever your hero is, wrote a book about himself. And you can either have that book where he tells all about himself, or you can get a comic book that gives you pictures and tells you a little bit and gives a general feeling. Dreams and visions are more like common. We have something that, according to Hebrews, is a billion times better. We actually have the recorded words, teachings, commands, promises from Jesus Christ himself. Even Paul didn't have that, okay? We have something. We have an advantage over everybody that ever lived prior to the Gospels. We have the Gospels. So uh, the answer is, as far as visions that you're talking about, I am, I'll be 74 years old shortly. I've had one vision in my lifetime, and it was a true vision. I had it in the middle of the night. I got to see what happened to one of my best friends when they died six weeks earlier. I got to see, actually see what happened, and it's been with me ever since. So I've been able to come with lost people. But um, that's the only one. But I have something a thousand times more practical a thousand times more powerful, uh, more miracles. My life is a nonstop 68-year thread uh, or 58-year thread of miracles, okay? Those miracles come from the intimacy that I've learned with God, and that same intimacy is available to anybody who can hear or read the teachings of Christ. Okay, so in the Joseph story, he first interpreted the dreams of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. Now, the chief baker's dream didn't have a good ending. He was impaled on a pole three days after he got out of prison. But the chief cupbearer's dream had him restored to his original position in Pharaoh's household. And once Joseph gave the chief cupbearer a good report about his dream, he asked him to remember him when he went back to work, but he didn't at first. That probably stung, and maybe Joseph felt like even more of a failure. So how can we deal with failure, the fear of failure, and the fallout of failure? Okay, the very first book I wrote, the cover review was from Zig Ziglar. And Zig Ziglar said, Steve Scott is living proof that failure is an event, not a person. And failure is never the last chapter unless you're a brain surgeon or, or uh, an airplane pilot, then it can be the last chapter. But uh, uh, failure is the greatest mentor we can have. We, if we will be like Edison and, uh, and like God wanted his chosen people to be, if we can look back at the failures, see where we failed. And I tell people, I teach people how to deal with failure. I say, you try to analyze all the things that go wrong. Then you go to the people around you that see things, see blind spots that you didn't see. So you don't have to repeat the failure in the next event in your life. But um, with, with Joseph, I'm sure he was a little discouraged. But remember, he was so um, trusting the sovereignty and the love of God. 
He knew that God had his timing. And that's what I've discovered is God has his timing with each of us. And now what we do in the Joseph principles is we, we show people, for example, how to find hidden treasures in their past traumas. That's chapter one. It's a thing we call treasure hunting. And in the rubble of your life, maybe a divorce, the death of a child, uh, you're going to look at the things that followed that. And in that rubble, you're going to find beautiful 10 carat diamonds. And we show you how to do that. And I've seen, for example, women who have been molested throughout their life by a relative. I've seen them literally uh, delivered and transformed from that within 30 minutes because we treasure hunt all the things that, that came out of that so that they can genuinely in their heart thank God for that trial. See, G, uh, Paul said, in all things and for all things give thanks for this is the will of God for you. And you think, God, how can I thank you for my dad who beat up my mom Every weekend, beat me up, my brother, my two sisters, because that happened to my best other best friend besides Gary. And that guy was also Gary's best friend. And that happened to him every day he was growing every weekend he was growing up. How can he thank God for that kind of a father? Well, when we treasure hunted, we found these diamonds. So he could not only not only thank God for it, he could forgive his dad. His dad became a believer and follower of Christ for the last 18 years. Because Jim Shaughnessy found the diamonds in the rubble, and we teach people how to do that in the Joseph Principles on Chapter 1. It's a big passion of mine to help, uh, to help women, and um, it's a big uh, passion of Pearls of Promise to help women overcome past, past hurts. And um, just to know that God is working in amazing miracles. Now, in the Joseph story, he does get out of jail, um, he interprets the Pharaoh's dream and he gets a promotion, not only out of jail, but actually a promotion. And um, he's now working for the Pharaoh himself. Is God still in the miracle Absolutely. business? But the problem is if, if the miracles are coming out of a faucet in the form of water and our cup is six away, six feet away from the water, we don't even notice them. We don't get to see them. So we show you how to position yourself under God's glorious faucet so you can receive the miracles he has. He has them for everybody. And it might not be a healing of cancer. I had two sons that had testicular cancer. One was miraculously healed. Incredible miracle. In fact, the story's in this book. But the other son uh, had surgery. The miracle didn't come the same way, but he was delivered from his cancer and the surgery took care of it. Uh, but we show you how to position yourself. Now, one area that we want to talk about before we close for sure, two areas, the book, the book has a chapter on grief and a chapter on forgiveness. Now, people uh, make the mistake of thinking that forgiveness means reconciliation. They think you have to have feelings of love or kindness to forgive. We show what the reality of forgiveness is. The reality of forgiveness is re untying, releasing, and pardoning, but does not mean reconciliation. I would never counsel anybody to reconcile with an abuser until there's absolute proof there won't be any more abuse, okay? But I can teach that same person how to forgive them in a minute. We don't forgive because of anything the perpetrator does. 
we forgive because of what God has done for us. And we show you that in the chapter on forgiveness. Now, in the area of grief, I have a ministry with parents who've lost children. And I never started that ministry, but in 2009, it started. And every year, God brings people in front of me who've lost children. In fact, one last week had her daughter murdered um, and uh, her son shot and left for dead. And, uh, and so I'm ministering to her right now. But there's seven obstacles that are false beliefs about grief. So what grief does, grief is a God-given emotion. So grief is for our benefit. But if we don't know how to protect us, it hijacks our heart. It hijacks the throne of our heart, becomes our master. And Jesus said, no man can serve, uh, no man can serve two masters. So we show how to get that throne back and give it back to Christ, not once and for all, not for a year or a lifetime, but how to do it in the moment. That, and that's how they have victory. And with every person that has lost a child that God has blessed me with a ministry with, literally by the end of our first time together, uh, they are learning how to let Christ be the master of their heart in the moment they're in. And it changes everything. It, it literally transforms their experience. That's wonderful, Stephen. Um, yeah. And I think it's great that you teach this forgiveness. As as we know, uh, Joseph actually forgave his brothers in that whole story. I wanted to wrap that story up be, because he saw the bigger picture. He saw that this happened so that he could help his family during a time of famine in the land. And so, um, you know, another beautiful ending. And sometimes we have to look at things and say, you know, may, maybe th they treated us this way because they were broken as well. And so we have to look at the bigger picture and understand that. Right. I've dealt with people whose children have been murdered, like this one last week, uh, one a few years ago. And they can't in any way come up with a reason to forgive any good out of it. And they're not supposed to. We can't ask God why, because we'll never find out until we're face to face with him. But, but we can look at Calvary and we can see so much love and mercy toward us in forgiving our trillion-dollar debt that it gives us the power to forgive the $10 debt that somebody uh, uh, does toward us. And that's why we forgive. We forgive, A, because Christ commands us to, B, the Father commands us to, C, God has forgiven us a much greater debt than anybody, even a murderer, could ever inflict on us because life doesn't stop at the grave. Life continues for eternity for those who know Christ, and uh, that's that's why I forgive. Well, thanks so much, Stephen, for sharing some principles from the life of Joseph. If you would like to reach out to Stephen, you can do so by emailing Jason at JonesLiterary.com. His website with most of his books is StephenKScott.com, but the new one you can find on Amazon. It comes out August 18th. So be looking for that one. And we'd love to reach out or love for you to reach out to us here at Pearls of Promise Ministries. We're the producers of Pop Talk. Um, it's an outreach of Pearls of Promise. Just email us at info at pearlsofpromiseministries.com. Visit our website at pearlsofpromiseministries.com. You can find us on Facebook or Twitter at Pop Talk Media and Instagram at pop underscore ministries. Check out all of our Pop Talk TV shows on our YouTube channel. And you're invited to our Level Up Women's Conference coming up October 8th in Louisville, Texas. Tickets are now on sale at Eventbrite. 
So that is Pop Talk for today. We're just ordinary girls. Who God is turning into pearl. Amen. Have a great week. Are you feeling broken or lost? Are you struggling to find a community of like-minded women? Come join us on SoulWin, Shining Our Light Women's Inspiration Network. SoulWin women have come out victoriously from their dark places and now use their God-given gifts to shine their light to the whole world. Get your free 30-day trial today. Go to www.soulwin.tv to subscribe now. Are you feeling broken or lost? Are you struggling to find a community of like-minded women? Come join us on SoulWin, Shining Our Light Women's Inspiration Network. SoulWin women have come out victoriously from their dark places and now use their God-given gifts to shine their light to the whole world. Get your free 30-day trial today. Go to www.soulwin.tv to subscribe now.